Good morning, church. I'm Andrea. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. I got to tell you, I'm more excited that this might be, I hope it is, one of the last sermons I preach virtually to this camera. I hope so. And I'm excited about that. Look, I'm really grateful for the technology that's allowed us to continue with services for these past 18 months, but I am so ready to see your faces and be in person together. Um, as you've heard, next Sunday, we are going to be back in minor for the first time since March of 2020. That's a big deal. And we know that everybody's not ready to uh, come back in person yet, and that's totally okay. Um, we're gonna keep streaming on YouTube as well every week. But if you are wanting to join us in person next week, we will see you Sunday at 10.30 at Minor. We're looking forward to it. So this week is the last installment of a series we've been in this month called In the Meantime. In full disclosure, this series sort of started as a joke. Um, as we scheduled our sermon series for the rest of the year a few weeks ago, there were these three weeks that fell in between two other like longer series. And we just, as a placeholder, called this gap in the meantime until we could come up with like a theme and a better title. <laughs> it's funny though that this title that we used in the meantime has become the theme and I think revealed this spot that, that we feel needs to be acknowledged. Um, it seems that in so many ways, all of us, we're all in this funny space between where we are and where we want to be. So if you attended a small group last week, plug for small groups, if you went to one, um, you might have done an exercise with your group in which you had to use paper and crayons to draw two pictures. One picture was supposed to represent where you currently are in your spiritual life, and the other picture was supposed to represent where you want to be. So that was the, one of the exercises that some of our small groups did this past week. In our staff meeting this past Tuesday, the four of us did this exercise as our morning devotion and shared with one another. And it was interesting. Um, <laughs> I can't speak for the other staff since I didn't draw their pictures but um, the contrast between my two pictures was pretty bleak. Um, so this picture is uh, of where I want to be. It's like a lush forest and friends and um, a clear stream. You know, there's nourishment and general peace. Um, it's the still waters and green pastures of Psalm 23 that Justin talked about last week, right? Lovely. Now, here is what I drew for where I am now. So that is a tornado and people and some random papers that represent the many things that go on inside of my brain and my heart. Um, and they're all kind of like swirling around. So sort of quite the contrast between those two uh, images. And I think I can safely say uh, and tell you that the contrast between everyone else's pictures was just as stark. And I mean, it's kind of funny that like the first thing that came to my mind was a tornado immediately. But um, I've been thinking about this since then, this idea about how much I feel in this in-betweenness. And I've been trying to name this week 
this season and its specifics, these specific in-betweens. So like we've got the pandemic, right? Feels never ending, at least to me. Um, maybe it was just me that got their hopes up really high in the spring before all these new variants popped up. Um, but obviously we're still feeling pretty uncertain about the future of COVID and its timeline changes all the time. And it has me wondering what we do in the meantime. And this has certainly been a season of grief, of plans never coming to fruition, um, just like life generally upended, loss, lots of loss of friends, of loved ones, of people we know. Uh, I have a friend who lost her spouse this summer and um, you know, what is she supposed to do in the meantime? I've heard some of you talk about your questions of faith, how you're walking in this season of doubt and uncertainty, and I definitely feel that in myself too. And then there's like this chaos and the unknown, like my tornado. Um, and there's just so many things that are out of our control. And I think it's right to name where we are, and it's right to say that it's not where we wanna be. We're in between. And then it's right to ask after that, what do we do in the meantime? And this question is definitely a part of, like, of our larger identity as a church, certainly. We talk about the kingdom of God and how we're living in this now and not yet reality, like how Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom, but it's not yet here in its full reality. When it comes to our faith, we talk about how we're kind of an in-between people in the work we do and the ways that we try to live into the reality of the kingdom of God we're consistently asking this question about what we do in the meantime. And in a season like we're in now, where we're in between grief and joy, we're in between doubt and faith, uncertainty and knowing, chaos and order, we're just trying to figure out what it means to be in between. So our text today is uh, from Jeremiah 29. It's one that we've looked at before. Um, we come back to this one time and again as we talk about this idea of what we do in the meantime. So we're gonna set the stage a little bit, quick context. In Jeremiah 29, the people of Israel have been conquered by the Babylonians. The king named Nebuchadnezzar has either killed people or separated them. So some people were to remain in Jerusalem, Jerusalem under Babylonian rule and some were to be exiled and forced to live in Babylon. So this idea of exile, to be in exile was to be living in the land of one's enemies, in a culture that was completely unfamiliar, to be far away from home, and to be in this consistent place of disorientation. To be in exile was to survive until you were released and could get back home. And the people in exile were obviously distressed. So Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel he stayed in Jerusalem. He received a word from the Lord and he wrote it in a letter to those in exile in Babylon. So the beginning of the letter is likely the part that we might be familiar with. This is verse, starting in verse one. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It says... 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So Jeremiah tells them, these exiles in this letter, that God is instructing them to settle. He's instructing them to build houses and not just temporary structures, to get married, to have kids, to multiply and not decrease, to plant gardens that will take time to grow, but eventually be able to sustain them with their produce. Jeremiah is telling them to be okay with the idea of being in exile, of being in this place where they don't want to be. And it seems strange in a way, I think, to say to this group of people whose greatest longing is to not be in the place where they currently are to settle down in it. This is the people who are tired and disoriented from being in this unfamiliar, uncomfortable place. And this is what Jeremiah says. And what's even more surprising, I think, is what comes next in the letter. This is maybe a part that we're not quite as familiar with. This is verse 8. Do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So in the chapters leading up to these verses in chapter 29, there are other prophets that are telling the people in exile that, will, that it's only going to be a couple of years before their exile is over. The people are obviously desperate, and these prophets are reassuring them that their in-between time will be short-lived, that it'll be over soon. But through Jeremiah's letter, God is telling the people, it won't be two years, it's going to be 70 years. That's like a whole generation. That is not what they want to hear. And that knowledge would certainly affect the way that they hear and receive the previous instructions to settle, to build permanent houses, to grow food in this very long meantime. It's so interesting that these two messages come together. They come to the people together. The waiting season will be long and you can be sustained here. Even though this city is unfamiliar and you long for something else, you can find sustenance here. I think for us, it's right to hear in this that it's good to cultivate joy while in a season of grief, even if that season is very long. It's, it's right to acknowledge and accept doubt as a companion or as a partner to faith. And it's good to birth new things, even in a season of uncertainty. To be in between is not to just survive, but to be sustained and even to grow in the meantime. God leaves the Israelites with a promise of this. Verse 11 is one of the most well-known passages um, in the Bible. It says, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. 
God offers this promise not on the cusp of returning home, but in the middle of exile, in a place where they do not want to be. I think hope is an interesting thing because it doesn't come with a guarantee. I think we think it does sometimes, but it doesn't. I mean, we know from experience that we don't always get what we want. (laughs) We don't always win. Things don't always turn out the way that we think that they're supposed to. We lose, we fail, we are utterly disappointed by things that are both in and out of our control. Sometimes we wait for years and still the thing we hope for does not come to fruition. We don't always get what we want. And as a side note, saying that we do or that that's what hope is about is bad theology. You can see Abraham or Moses for examples of that. Hope, though, is not fueled by this guarantee that our circumstances change or that we get exactly what we want or that things go back to how they used to be or everything ends up being completely fine. I wish that it was. (laughs) These past 18 months of COVID have changed my understanding of hope. So the first week that everything shut down and we all stayed at home, I honestly thought it was going to be like a three-week blip before we were just like all back to normal. Like I told people that. And then when that turned into months, I remember being just completely fueled by this idea that as soon as it was done, which was going to be soon, anytime, that everything would go back to the way it was before. Like as we were learning to do virtual church, Here in the office, the staff talked about what it would be like when we could soon be back in minor, having an in-person service. At home, Drew and I borrowed uh, two more desks for the kids so that they could do virtual learning. We stuck them like in the middle of our living room because we just assumed that this was temporary. We made plans for vacation and we decided not to buy too many masks because we didn't want to be left with a bunch of like useless face masks after it was over very soon. Um, Drew and I decided to pause conversations around our family's future because we wanted to make sure that any plans we made would work in our normal rhythms, not in these like temporary rhythms. Almost a year in to COVID, I remember I was having a conversation with a friend who had had this realization that COVID wasn't just a phase. It wasn't just like a pause. At some point, the pandemic changed our trajectories. And now, after almost two years, I accept that it has irrevocably changed us. The decisions I would have made 18 months ago are not the decisions I would make now because I am different. You know, we've made it this far, but we're not the same. And that's okay. Even gathering again for service is not what I expected. I remember texting with David Hood about how great it would be when we got to show up at Minor again and hug and sing together. And I envisioned the choir like putting a song together beforehand and everybody was going to cry and we were going to worship. And look, I'm not saying that it's not going to be great. It will be. It's going to be so good. But it's going to be different. And that's okay. It is not a betrayal of hope to accept the present 
as reality or to settle yourself in a season, even if it's a tough season and a season you don't want to be in. It is not hopelessness to take our gaze off the horizon just long enough to plant a garden from which we can eat. Our hope is not that everything will be okay or that the season we're in will even end. That's, that's not it. Our hope is that God works even in the meantime, that even as the waiting seasons change us, God is still good, God is still present, and that God is working in all of it. As much as we want to think that in the meantime is just a pause, it's not. We are still becoming. And it's there that hope kicks in. God still works in the meantime. I'm lucky to live uh, near my parents. Um, they live out by the Chesapeake Bay. They have some property out there and they are avid gardeners. Like, not just vegetables and stuff, though their vegetables are always bountiful and very delicious. But they, they plant and grow and care for trees, like big trees. There's this particular tree that my parents are fond of for some reason. It's called a crepe myrtle. And I think they've had one at a lot of the homes that they've lived in over the years. They currently have one that's planted in their yard. It's a red crepe myrtle. And my mom sent this picture to me this week of the crepe myrtle. They've had this particular tree for the last three homes that they occupied. Like they liked it so much that they brought it along on each move. It's huge now, it's about 12 feet tall. And because I've never planted a tree in my life and I have no idea what that entails, I was asking my mom this week about the planting and the growing process of this tree. And she told me that when you plant a crepe myrtle, it takes several years for it to bloom. She said that her and my dad watered this tree for two years with no blooms. And I asked her if there was like a guaranteed time window for it to bloom. And she said no. <laughs> my parents watered that tree regularly, even with no guarantee that it would ever bloom. But she assured me that no bloom did not mean no growth. The watering and the fertilizer were not in vain. The roots, they had to make their way past the level of clay in the ground to the soil underneath for sustenance. They had to have the opportunity to grow deep and wide. So there might not be a bloom, but there is growth. And my dad on the phone also reminded me that's why fall is the best time to plant any tree. During the dormancy of winter, a tree's roots can grow because there's no demand for a bloom. The tree grows in all seasons, even the cold ones, and even when it doesn't bloom. And maybe this is too obvious of a metaphor here for us friends, but I don't know how long our in-between season lasts. This one that we're in, these ones that we're in. I can't even say for sure when the day will be that we look around and feel some kind of familiarity again. Honestly, I can't even promise that that day will come. But I want to remind and encourage you that things grow here too. 
the work and the rest and the growth that we do matters here too. And I, I just, I want you to hear that God is for our thriving and that we can be sustained in the meantime, however long that is. Build your house with hope. Don't dwindle away, but increase. Like Watson was talking about last week, take the time to rest and know that it's part of work that sustains. Remember the guidance of God, our shepherd from Psalm 23. With the hope that God is working, we plant things that sustain life. The season is not a pause. It's not a waste. And even though we don't know how long it's going to last, it's right for us to dig in deeper, to set up our homes on actual foundations, to grow. And my prayer for us, church, is that even in what can feel like a cold, dormant season, our hope allows us to recognize that our roots are still growing and that God is for us and growing us and sustaining us in the meantime.